Welcome to the Insight Podcast. Today, my guest is Dan Fitzpatrick. Dan is a former teacher who is now empowering educators to benefit from artificial intelligence. He's the author of the best-selling book, The AI Classroom, The Ultimate Guide to Artificial Intelligence in Education. I talked to Dan about the role AI will be playing in our lives very soon, people's concerns around AI, how educators can use tools like Midjourney, ChatGTP and others, and much more. Enjoy the episode. Dan, is, um, is AI about to destroy the world? Is that what's about to happen? <laughs> it's a good question. I think if you watch, if you watch the news or any kind of uh, TV program at the moment, you'd, you'd think it was about to change, uh, drastically change the world, and 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 even destroy the world. Um, I don't think so. Um, I think oh, it's a difficult question, isn't it? Because who knows what's going to happen um, and how powerful this technology is going to become. But I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's helpful for us as um, educators, as 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 people who are going to have to utilize this technology, get to grips with it, to, 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 to delve into that question so much um, in terms of it's, that it hinders what we do and, and hinders the benefits that we can gain from it. I think um, it's certainly going to be very, very powerful. It's certainly mm-hmm. going to... I was just reading a report this morning, actually, that was, was saying how much money, I think it was Google, have got to put into this over the next few years and and how and then it was making correlations between how much money's been spent on it already and how far it's gone so it was kind of projecting that it's actually going to get we're going to live we're going to be living in a wild world in, in the next over the next few years and hopefully it'll settle down mm. i think i often compare this this kind of time to late 90s uh internet so if anyone could i mean i, I was i think i just started secondary school in 97 so i was i was about 10 11 12 years old around that time. But the um the the internet was a bit of a wild west. There was mm. Google didn't exist, so there was no kind of there was no robust search. Uh we had basic browser, basic email, and all of a sudden every company um who had the ability was starting to create websites and create businesses online and figure out how to turn this into into something profitable and and, and produce services. Um when I suppose it's one of the benefits of, of capitalism is that when people businesses want to be profitable and make some money, they they um, most of the time I like to think create something that's good for the for their customers. So we got some amazing uh, user experiences and capabilities, and Google popped up, and we had that kind of dot com bubble. Mm. Uh, but it was a wild west. There was there was there wasn't much regulation. There was um, I I often ask people when I'm talk giving talks um, who who used. Uh, who oh man, I forgot the name of it now. That's uh, that's like Napster, I'm, I'm, I'm Napster, yeah, Napster. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so who, who who used Napster and uh, and you always get a few people put their hands up and I'm like, caught you, you, you uh, <laughs> fully uh, illegal. Yeah, it's. I mean, it was we were literally ripping off music and 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 downloading other people's work without paying for it. Uh, but it was the Wild West and nobody really. There wasn't that much regulation. There wasn't. Yeah. Nobody really knew. Was this a because technically it was it was peer to peer sharing of files, so nobody really knew if this was stealing or if it was just sharing, and 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 then all of, and things settled down after a few years, 
and regulation came out, law, the law caught up and, and, and so on. And I think we're in that time at the minute yeah. where it's kind of, it's the Wild West, but, but saying that it's very different. So we, we've got some very well-established companies who are, who are creating products and putting them out. So that, that's, there's a big difference there. But also, um, I think this technology is going to go a lot faster than it did. And, and the internet went fast. I mean, if you think 1997, um, fast forward 10 years to 2007, in just 10 years, and if you think, let's rewind 10 years, that's 2013, that feels like yesterday, 2013. Mm. So in just 10 years, from 97 to 2007, we went from basic internet. I mean, I think I was, again, I was reading something the other day that was it the the kind of graphic interface of of computers and the internet only came in with the Windows version um, in 1993. So before that, it was all text-based. So we literally start getting graphics on our screen in 93. 97 starts this kind of boom in, 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 in the internet. And then 10 years later, Steve Jobs is standing on the stage introducing the iPhone, yeah, which is yeah. the, the stable of our technology that we have today, mobile technology, cloud-based technology. Um, so we've, we moved very fast. The, I think the worrying, I say worrying, it's also quite exciting thing is that this technology is going to go even faster. And, and it comes down to one main reason, really. Um, and that is all technological advancement has been based on humans up to now, whereas this technology can learn for itself. Mm. And so, and, and if something is learned for itself and then, and then advancing um, its capability based on that learning, we're going to get a bit like when you put... Um, money into savings or you, or you invest in the stock market, that's going to, that knowledge and that capability is going to start compounding. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we might start off a bit slow, but I think within a few years, the, the, the takeoff of this technology is going to be quite incredible. And that does lead to um, people like Ray Kurtzfell, who was, who was a head engineer at Google, who wrote a book called The Singularity back in 2006, I think it was. He, he says that by 2045, I think he said, we will get get to a point called the singularity where AI will be will be more advanced um, than than all human intelligence put together. And when we get to that point, it's kind of like we don't understand what's happening with AI. So at the minute, engineers and coders and, and, and whoever can understand how AI works. But when you get to that level, AI is going to be coming to conclusions, it's going to be producing things where it's going to be difficult for even humans to grasp how it's come to those conclusions because it's going to be so advanced. And then he argues as well, we, st- we start integrating this technology into our biology, um, which, is, yeah. which, to be fair, is already happening. I was, again, I was, uh, I'm making myself sound really um, learned here by saying how much I've read. Um, I don't normally read this much, but uh, <laughs> I, I was reading an article yesterday about how, how uh, AI is, be- is helping people to, to move their legs again who've been paralyzed and... And, wow. and so on. So we're already integrating it into biology, but um, yeah. So I guess to answer your question, is is it going to destroy the world? I, I I'm hopeful, which which probably might be a bit naive uh, considering the the maliciousness of of uh, the global power structure. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm hopeful that it can make our lives a lot better and and really help us. We'll we'll go through some through some difficult times, I'm sure, to get there. But I'm hopeful that our lives, our work lives, our learning life, our home life will will be boosted by this technology. Mm. But we have to do it with intent. I think um, we uh, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from how social media was uh, infiltrated the world. Um, to use that language, um, it, we just kind of let it happen, um, and we just let big tech kind of drive the 
the change there. And and to be fair, I mean, some a tool like Facebook has helped overturn dictatorships around the world. It's been an absolutely phenomenally positive tool. But also, we um, to to look at the dark side, we've we've got school children taking their lives because of this technology. Yeah. So um, it's 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 an interesting one. But I think whatever we do, whatever however we advance it, there needs to be serious intent behind what we're doing and, and hopefully that's a positive intent yeah it feels like uh, as you kind of mentioned that throughout history we've had these scares the internet and video games and music mtv and stuff like that where people have gone oh this is going to fry children's brains this is a disaster and then you know we, we've come out the other side and hopefully we learn a lot of lessons from those and the kind of the interviews I've listened to um, of some of the people in in this field, you know, very much at the forefront, they seem like I don't know if this is me, but me being naive as well. They seem like they've got good intentions. They want this to be a positive thing for humanity and to make people's lives easier. Um, so yeah, that that gives me hope. But it's interesting that yeah, there are lots of people that are very the, nervous. Those Go are the on. people who are putting their voice on camera or in print. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's people playing around with this technology. Um, I mean, just think like what, like, like, yeah, I don't want to go conspiracy theorist, but <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure within some military complex somewhere there's, there's, there's military people who, who are playing with this technology and seeing how they can use it to, to effectively kill people. Of course, um, and, yeah, I mean, of course. That's, it's quite blunt, but I'm, 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 I'm certain it is happening somewhere. Which is, uh, yeah, it's a horrible thought. Yeah, absolutely. So People listening, and, and even me myself, like sorry, some, that was some, a nice note to really <laughs> stop on, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's fine, it's fine. When I said but, I was hopeful before, uh, <laughs> it's kind of, it went downhill since. Then. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. But so, some of the things that you've said, some people listening, and, and me included, are kind of like, "Whoa!" Like it's mind blowing. And so maybe we can take a step back and like understand it a bit better. Like I don't fully understand, Like you, you talk about how some of these programmers, they, they, we might get to a point where they don't understand how it works. Is that right? But like at the moment, what, what is going on here? How, how does an AI tool work? And I guess we're talking about things like, is it that people are excited at the moment because things like chat GTP, aren't they? And other things that are, if I understand correctly, large language models. Um, so if we could, if you could explain what that is and, and how it works, and maybe then if we could talk about, you know, why is everyone excited all of a sudden? What, you know, why is so many people talking about it since like, what was it like March this year where it just seemed to like blow up on, on mm. Twitter and everything and everyone's talking about it. Um, do those, do those questions make sense? Is that? Is yeah. That right? Yeah. And I, I'll not go too technical because I'm not, I'm not a technical person really. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a teacher at heart. So I, mm. I, I mainly do the application side of it, but um, yeah, I think, We've had AI for a long time. I mean, if you had mm. a smartphone in your pocket, like I like uh, mentioned, Steve Jobs with the iPhone earlier, you for the last for the best part of the last ten years, you you've had AI in your pocket. Companies haven't tended to to overly um, amplify that to, to consumers because um, it's it's a bit boring to be fair, um, and consumers mainly just want to know is it going to is it going to benefit me or not? They don't they don't want to know the technical side of how Netflix suggests programs to you based on your watch history or Amazon suggests mm -hmm. products to buy based on what you've bought previously or um I mean your camera if you've got a if you've got a decent smartphone the AI in your camera is is, is phenomenal the way it adjusts to the light is, is artificial intelligence the way it adjusts to surroundings and, and helps to make your picture better and 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 apply certain 
effects and filters and and I mean I've got a Google phone and the the fact that you can take a picture then just circle somebody standing in the background and they disappear and it and it, it's it's phenomenal and so we've had we've had AI for quite a while. Uh, the the thing is, what happened last year with ChatGPT was it was an, an, a new type of AI that consumers weren't too familiar with. So, um, and it, it, to be honest, it's not new. It's been been worked on since kind of 2016, I think. OpenAI, who are the company who created ChatGPT, started, and they were very intentional about what they were doing. They said what they were doing. They were going to try and train large language models, um, which is essentially a they an, an AI or a computer they feed so much information um in fact chatgpt3 which is the free version if you go on that's that's the that's the version you get access to is trained on about 300 billion words worth of information um which uh i like to tell people if you read about 100 words every 30 seconds um which is like the average reading time if you're reading a book if you read non-stop take you about I think it's something like two and a half thousand years to read all of that information. A ChatGPT four, which is the 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 newer version, um, it would take you about seven thousand years to read all the the words worth of information that that's trained on. So it it they train it on a on a lot of information, and same with the the image models that you see as well, where you type in a command and it creates a, an image for you. Trained on uh, hundreds of millions of different images that it learns from. So. And then what they do is they essentially, a bit like a brain, they try to create a neural network between all the different bits of information that are in there um, based on probability, really. So mm. um, the amount of time. So that 300 billion words worth of information, um, obviously it's not unique bits of information. There'll be a lot of overlap. There'll be, I mean, there'll be a hell of a lot of overlap. Uh, so what it does is it works out the probability, not on a knowledge level, but on a, on almost a word level. Sometimes it's a half a word level. Where it works at the probability of of then, if you ask it a question, what will be the next word in the sequence to answer it based on the probability of all the information it's got? Um, so it's it's not. I mean, a lot of people like to say it's, it's not intelligent. It's not. It's not. It's not artificial and it's not intelligent. Um, but it can. The human brain can't do that. We don't have access to that much information um, instantly. So that's where its power comes from. And that's important because what it does then is it uses that to then generate new data or new content. So the type of AI we're used to, um, probably pre like pre end of two thousand twenty two, uh, tended to. And I'm, I'm being very um, simplistic here, but tended to give insights. Mm. So so insights into data. Whereas this type of AI, what it does is, and it's the reason it's called generative AI, and it generates new content and new data. And it's got a, a a massive knowledge base to be able to do that. And anyone who's ever typed into ChatGPT or Google Bard or, or whatever you use will see just asking it a basic question about pretty much anything in the world, um, and it will give a, a quite a good, robust answer to that, um, mm. a knowledgeable answer. Um, some people like to say it doesn't. It does. I mean, when it first was released, it would. It does make. It did, it did make a lot of errors. Um, very subtle errors. So, like, it would be like ninety percent of what you asked would be hundred percent correct, and then ten percent might be a bit vague or might mm. might give a false bit of information in there. Um, and the the technical term for that is hallucinating because it, it, these 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 tools are designed to please. They're designed to what to give you the answer. So, if it doesn't know the answer, it will make a bit of a leap 
and try and come up with an answer for it. And sometimes they they're wrong. Um, very good use case of seeing that is you you ask ChatGPT for a for a reference or or a citation for what it's saying. And um, look, last time I tried it anyway, it it makes up a reference. It tries to because because it doesn't. Its job isn't to give you. Um, it isn't to copy and paste. That's not its job. Yeah. Its job is to is to. It, it would be like right now if like if I'm saying a lot of things here, and if you just stopped me and went, Dan, can you give me a reference for that? I'd I'd be like, well, I can't. I can't like give you a the. Exact the page number author. in the book, yeah, yeah and the yeah. date. But I might be able to string together. I might be able to go. Well, I think it was this person. They, I think they teach at this university. I might be able to pull a, a vague sense of a reference out. And it's it's kind of what ChatGPT will do in that circumstance. And then any gaps it has, it'll just fill it in. So it'll just make up a page number, for example. Um, so because it wants to give you an answer, so that's what it does. And and so obviously you need to check it. So when I'm working with teachers, I'm like, you can't just rely on this. You've got to check it out. You've got to make sure that everything um, is, is is factual, especially if you're going to use it to, to teach students. So yeah, um, I, I, that, that's kind of how it works. That's how it's different. Yeah. So kind of late last year when, so uh, OpenAI, by the way, Google have been working on this, a few other companies working on large language models, but they very much kept it um, behind the scenes um, and didn't, and what, Last thing was early last year. OpenAI decided to stick a chatbot on top of their large language model, almost like a bit of like a bit like a window into it, into this into this uh, computer system, this AI system, where you could chat to it and get answers back. And they decided um, they trialed it for a few months and then decided end of November last year to release it to the public. And wasn't it it's it wasn't an altruistic endeavor by them um it wasn't like they went right this is powerful technology the world needs this they put it out as a prototype because it a bit like what we're saying before with the compounding of of knowledge that ai gains for itself it learns from the conversations so they wanted to open it up so that it could learn um and by the way if you're if you're kind of horrified by that um we do this all the time if you have if you ever had to go on a website and confirm you're a human and then tick the pictures of what of yeah well, you know how you, you get like a grid and it's uh click the the traffic lights within yeah, the grid yeah. you're you what you're doing there is you're training ai um <laughs> so the chances are that what you're doing there is your a company is paid so probably a self-driving car company have paid um to to have that in there because what it does is it allows the for the purpose of the website or the 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 company that provides that uh, security solution it allows them to detect whether you're human or not but also what it does is it it trains the the AI to know what traffic lights are I um, not know so that's that. why they're kind of always they're always a bit blurry they're not like clear pictures of yeah. traffic lights because the AI can clearly identify a clear picture but if it's a blurry in the distant picture um you as a human you're able to go yeah that's a traffic light click it the AI didn't know that before. Now it knows it. So it's you, you trade it. So we're trading AI all the time, to be honest. Um, but I think that's a good thing because then mm. then it understands how we're thinking, what we what we know, what we want from it, and I think it will it'll make it better. Uh, what I mean, it does it does pose uh, issues in terms of privacy. So you might not want to be putting sensitive data in there. And, and in fact, I think I think early this year, Samsung, the company, had to issue a, a very stern warning to their their code engineers 
because they were putting their their code into ChatGPT to look for errors and to help and get asking ChatGPT to help them with it, um, not realizing that uh, the data was could be used, um, and that obviously the code is is intellectual property of, yeah, of Samsung. Yeah. So so there are and in 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 a school, you, you uh, one of the things I always say to teachers is use it, but don't put student names in. Don't connect a bit. It's it's good. It's like good common sense stuff when you're using any to, any tools that could that could take your data, isn't it? Yeah. Don't link it to specific students. Don't link it to to names. So uh, there's yeah, but all that needs ironed out. Like I said, like going back to what I said before about being in the Wild West, that needs ironed out. We need regulation there, data protection laws that we currently have are probably out of date now because, mm-hmm. like for example, um, before UK left uh, left the EU, uh, we we had GDPR. So GDPR said that all data, and I think I'm not sure if we still abide by this with uh, with our current current data policies, but all data can't leave the EU. Um, so that was part of something being GDPR compliant, which means it's safe to use. I, I don't know if that's if how that's going to work anymore because in order for an AI system to be really intelligent, it needs to learn from its sensors or from its from data all over the world. So, for example, if I'm driving a self driving car down the road. And I, and I, and the car comes across a situation where it could knock somebody over. For example, uh, another car that uses the same AI system might have encountered that issue in Tokyo uh, two months ago, and in Finland uh, three months before that. And so, as can learn from the previous situation. So, you want that data to be shared uh, mm-hmm. across across the globe. Really, obviously, there needs to be policy around that. But. Um, yeah, we live in interesting times where the policy, the 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 laws that keep us protected probably need to be updated, but also kept in balance so that they still still protect us. I can't remember what your original question was, but I, I hopefully I've yeah, no, it no, it was around how it was around how something like ChatGTP works and the kind of the implications, and so yeah, you've yeah. I mean, to, to put it in a basic way, it's you you put you ask it a question, it uses its very large database yeah. to make connections, a bit like a human brain, and and helps you produce an answer. And it means as teachers as well, We, you can type in, create a lesson plan for me, you can type yeah. in, create a resource, you could ask it to, for some advice about something, and it pulls on that information and is able to offer you, um, most of the time, quite a, quite a good answer or quite yeah. a good resource. Well, let's get into that then, because... I'm wondering whether there's lots of people out there that are kind of using it like a Google search bar. Do, do you think that's right? That people are kind of typing in something and thinking that it's like typing into Google, where of course it's not. It's so much more than that. So h- how do we avoid that? Like, Because I've had a little play around with it, and then I'm thinking, actually, am I using this in the, in the most effective way, or am I just using it like a Google search bar? Um, yeah. So what is the, what is, how, how could I change that? And then also let's get into, you know, how, how can a teacher like myself, a primary school teacher teaching a year three class, like what are some of the practical things I could start doing this year that could be really useful for me and of course for the children? Yeah, I think, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with using it like a search tool. Okay. But I think you need, I think probably just to be aware that it's not going to provide websites. So I think still, because Google and, and other search engines uh, were created so that you could, um, have an index of pretty much every website out there. So you could type yeah. in a keyword and it would find the websites where those keywords are mentioned and so on. Um, and because we haven't had anything better, Google has kind of morphed into a place where you just ask any question. Mm. And what it'll do is it'll pull back and give you information from websites 
or direct you to a website um, and give you the answer. Um, so and a model like ChatGPT can do that really well without having to give you the website. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I don't think search engines are going to go away. And in fact, you, you can already see Bing and, and Google trying to merge the two. Yeah. So yeah. Bing's already done it. Google, I think, are in beta mode at the minute and are, are about to release um, Google Bard within within um, their Google search. Uh, it's still, I don't know how it'll play out because it's still, like if you use Bing, it, you've got like the the AI bit at the top, then the website's underneath. I don't know if that'll be the kind of final iteration of how we go forward with this or not. Um, I, I personally, I don't like it. I don't know why. It just feels still feels a bit clunky to me. I just for me, like I don't, I don't know what to do with it at this point. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, I, I use Bing and it kind of pops up, and I'm like, well, what do I do differently here? And yeah. I'm just not sure what to do. <laughs> I, I think I think we're getting to the point where we, we it's two different tools, really. I think the search right. engine will find will find you a website. The AI will actually compile an answer. I think it's two okay. different. Although although they might. A bit like a Venn diagram crossover in some respect. I think they're two different things. Mm. Um, so I don't. Yeah, I don't think there's a problem. I often. I mean, I'm I'm in this business, and I I still go to Google, search something, and then think, what am I doing? I could ask ChatGPT that, and probably get a better answer. Um, so I I think it's there's a mindset thing there. There's um, that it'll, it's going to take a, a while to. And also, I think. I mean, if. Although OpenAI have done a lot of work in making ChatGPT a usable, user-friendly product, at the end of the day, it's still a prototype, basic product that isn't really a great user experience. Um, like Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, said a couple of months ago, he said ChatGPT is a horrible product, <laughs> and he created it. Um, and I think I think they're just surprised because I mean, like I said earlier, they put it out as a prototype. It took off and become the fastest growing platform in history, and it's a, I mean, a lot of these tools are still prototype. I mean, if you if anyone uses Midjourney to create images, Midjourney is still just a bot within a Discord channel, uh, which is like a which is a like a chat room, like a, a place you can, and, it, and it's mainly used by gamers, so they can right. so they can chat when they're gaming. <sighs> so and it's just it works within the chat of one of those, so it's. They're still; these are still very much experimental prototypes. But they, because of the interest and the popularity over the last few months, they've become a huge multi, well, billion-dollar mm-hmm. companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're still using. I mean, the the AI behind it's very complex, but the the platforms they're using to present it to the to the consumer is still very basic. Yeah. And that's what I think that puts a lot of people off. So, um, like I just did a tutorial last week. Around mid journey, trying to show teachers how to use mid journey because it it's not the getting it set up isn't isn't a great user um, experience. So you've got to go through a few hurdles. You've got to not many teachers use Discord, so they've mm. got to set up a Discord channel. So they and they don't understand what that is, so they've mm. got to get their heads around that. And then they've got to go and do a mid journey account and then connect the two. It's just too clunky. Right. It's too it's it's not great. So. I think we need to. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's, we're just it, we, the the landscape needs to settle a bit. Uh, we need it almost to be a few years' time, um, and and it's interesting because it's not like the Wild West and there's just a few nerds out there playing with this technology. Like, I mean, if you think like early early um, 
what is the I'm trying you know, what's the, the the teen decades? What what would you call it? You got the noughties. Um, then you we're, I suppose no, we're in the twenties now, which sounds weird. But uh yeah. But in that decade anyway, <laughs> um you had lots of nerds playing around with both like cryptocurrency, for example. Yeah. And cryptocurrency I I mean I, I don't use it that much as an example because I don't think many people are in that world anyway. Um but it's it's a good analogy to or a good similarity because cryptocurrency is very uh, famous for being not very user friendly, and you've got to have a bit of technical detail to set it up. Um, and kudos to those who did early days because they're multi multi millionaires right now. <laughs> yeah. um, just for, just for learning how to set up a, an account. So, but I think we're still in those days where we're waiting for bigger companies to make this user friendly, and yeah. and that's happening. So. Uh, Microsoft are bringing out Copilot. Google's about to bring out um, Duet, which essentially, and most people on on the planet, I guess, either use Microsoft Office or Google Workspace as their main kind of office tools. Mm. Um, so it, it's going to be integrated into all those tools very, very quickly. Mm. Uh, and it's starting to be. I don't know if anyone uses Canva, um, which is yeah. a which is a tool I love. Um, We've got Microsoft Designer though now, haven't we? Have you seen yeah. that? Just like their free equivalent, which I think is going to get better and better. I had a little play around with it. But you, you mentioned about mid-journey. So that's images. Is that right? Mm. So a teacher might, what, what might a teacher do with that? Like you said, it's a bit difficult to get started, but if, if we kind of overcome that first hurdle, like yeah. how, how could I use mid-journey? That's a good question. I've got a, a half an hour video on that. If anyone wants to have a look at it, but, <laughs> well, you're talking I about think, how to make it easier for teachers, and, and that's your work, isn't it? That's what you're doing. So people like you are trying to, you know, break down these barriers and, and mean that teachers are accessing it. So yeah. this is why I'm really excited to talk to you. And yeah, like, and, something like Mid Journey. What what could I do? And in Mid Journey, it's not that it's it's not that obvious because you can create amazing bits of art with it. You can create um, photographic quality images, like absolutely. Like you would think that what you were looking at real photographs yeah. in high definition, but they're they're not. They're completely they're completely created by AI. And when I say that, I'm not talking about foot like a photoshopped head in another <laughs> image or something. I'm talking like on a pixel level, they are uniquely generated by artificial intelligence. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose as teachers, what what are the benefits? And there's not loads of benefits at the minute, mm. but if you, for example, if you want to. We as teachers, we use a lot of clip art. Clip art mm. is that a thing now? Um, <laughs> Less so now. I think. Um, <laughs> stock stock photos, Google yeah. images. We put it into our presentations. We put it into our resources because we want to yeah. make we want to make the learning experience uh, better for our students and yeah. more interactive and more yeah. uh, palatable, I guess. Um, so you could use something like Midjourney to create your own unique images. Right. And you tell it exactly what you want in the image. It will create it. Um, and for teachers who like to be creative in that way, it's 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 a phenomenal tool because like you could spend you could spend hours. I know we talked about this this technology can save time, but if you if you're a bit geeky like me, you can you can while away the hours just playing with this stuff and and producing some amazing images. Um, so you could you could put it in your resources. You can then take those images. One of the other tutorials I've got is how you take an image that you've created with Midjourney and using just um, three other AI tools, no technical ability needed whatsoever, in 10 minutes, just by logging into three other AI tools, you can turn a mid-journey image into a, a video that talks. I was, I was, I was going to say, is Dan going to say a video? And no way he's going to say a video. No way, no way. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, so, I mean, oh, yeah, wow. I've been doing this since since January, really. So there's, there's um, 
I've got a, I've got a, f- a full thread on it on on I was going to say Twitter there it's X now isn't X, it X yeah, on, yeah. Uh, I noticed they changed it so you, you know the retweet button it, when you click it now yeah. it doesn't say retweet it says repost, repost. <laughs> yeah it's just it's weird but uh, yeah so the you essentially there's four tools there's Midjourney ChatGPT uh, there's a tool called Play.ht and there's a tool called D-ID. Mm. You just create free accounts with them. Uh, some of them you have to start paying after you use your credits up. If you're cheap like me, I just create a new account every time. Nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a little trick, actually. Um, someone taught me this recently and it blew my mind. Where, like, So my email address is dan at theaieducator.io. If you take your email address, I don't know if you know this, but if you take it after the Dan, if I put a plus... Yeah, plus and one, a number. plus two, yeah. Yeah, so it, it thinks it's, it, the platform thinks it's a new email address and the emails still go back to my email. Um, that's, yeah. Good tip, my mind. really yeah. good tip. <laughs> saved, saved me a lot of money. Yeah. So, they, <laughs> they, um, so yeah, normally so you, you, can, you can do that, create some free accounts. And then essentially what we did was, um, I decided to, because it all came from the fact that you could, with ChatGPT, you can ask ChatGPT to be a character. So um, I think the very first one I did was I got to ask ChatGPT to be Winston Churchill. So I, you just say to it, um, I want you to be Winston Churchill. I want you to answer like he would. I want you to use the limited um, knowledge set that Winston Churchill would have had. Right. And it does a really good job. So I did this with a with a history teacher and and everything that it was coming out with was very accurate. And it was it was really helping. We found with the students that we tried it with, it was really helping them, not just with knowledge, but build different skills. So mm. we found that students were asking uh, this this virtual Churchill um, things like, "Do you have any regrets over your right. what, what you did?" Like and so, cognition, like yeah, deeper questions. I like that. And help and 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 it helps build that critical thinking. Yeah. Uh, actually, if Churchill himself was a, and brings a character from a book, which is essentially who Churchill is to many students, a character in a textbook, brings him to life. He's got thoughts, he's got opinions, and it might not be 100% what Churchill thought, but it, it does a really good job of using the the public statements of Churchill and, and, and trying to, to simulate that. Right. Um, and also asking, I think we had a student ask it, um, were you scared during the Second World War? So, they, this student was building empathy with mm. Churchill um, through that question. So phenomenal. So we were doing that, and then we we thought, well, obviously, this is just a chatbot. How do we bring this more to life? Um, and the example we used, we didn't use Churchill, but we used Henry VIII. And we, so we we asked Henry VIII a question. We got asked ChatGPT to be Henry VIII. Asked it a question. Um, looked at it. It was from a historical, factual point of view. It was a perfect answer. We. We then logged into a tool called play.ht, which is a website. Um, we, you just copy and paste the text from ChatGPT into there, and it'll create, you tell it what type of voice you want, and it'll use an AI, it creates an audio track of, of, of that. Then you just click download, downloads that audio file on your computer. We went into Midjourney, created a, created a picture of Henry VIII with yeah. Midjourney. You don't, you don't necessarily have to do that. You could just go to Google Images and find out find a picture of Henry VIII. You don't have to create your own image. And then we took it over to a, a website called D-ID. Um, and what you do in the, on that website is you simply upload an image and you upload an audio file and it turns it into an animation. So it detects the, the, the face in the picture, detects the mouth and everything. 
and it turns it into an animation of where that character is saying those words and it, and it it's it's pretty realistic um yeah. it's it's re- in fact it's really realistic it looks it looks very real um so we were able to turn kind of that that chat gpt mind that was pretending to be henry the into an actual video of henry the eighth talking and um and that took 10 minutes I mean, literally the time I've taken to describe what we did, you can do it with no technical skills apart from being able to log into a website, (laughs) being able to copy and paste and being able to click upload and click download. That's literally the technical skills you need to be able to do this. Um, So we, so mid journey, although it's quite cool and using it on its own, once you start connecting it and smashing it with other AI apps, you're going to get some phenomenal content. Um, and in fact, I noticed the other day, there's a, I forget what the name of the website is, but there's an actual business who have essentially taken that concept. Not, I'm not saying they've taken it from me, but they've, they've obviously just had the idea themselves. Mm. And they've created bots where students or anyone, I guess, can talk to historical figures. And they just got a VC investment worth $100 million What's VC? for that company. VC investment, uh, that? venture cap, venture cap. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. Um, so they just they just raised a hundred million dollars for their business. Wow! And it's just based on what I've just described to you. And you can do that. You can do so, that by logging into a few tools. I'm thinking of like story writing lessons that I've done in, with my class in the past, and maybe we've taken a character from a book, fictional or or, or historical. Yeah. And and we've got the kids to do you know the hot seating and said you come to the front and we ask them questions. And of course, you know when you do that with seven and eight year olds they're like how did you feel about this part of the story it can sometimes be a bit like pulling teeth it's a bit difficult because of course they've only been on this planet for seven years and we're asking them to kind of empathize and connect the dots and think about all these different things but if like you said you could instead get their questions that they want to ask that character like we say like factual or fictional and then do all of this stuff that you've just said, and then they could, then that character can, I guess, say, "Hello, three A. Um, I hear you've got some questions for me. Here, here are my answers." Like, yeah. that would just the kids would absolutely and, love it. And to they? take that one step further, uh, DID, the company that the website that animates it, um, have now got the capability where you can ask it in real time, and it gives you wow. the answers in real time. Right, so you don't right, have right. to like pre-plan it or anything. You could literally have, okay. have the avatar on the screen. Uh, you can, you click the mic button ask it a question and then it it uses like the brain of chat gpt to answer and see yeah. you back and i think that's where this technology is going we're going to be able like to that. have live conversations mm. and uh with with this technology um and i think and it just it means like i don't know if you've got like a i've got a google home hub here and it already when i talk to it and ask it a question mm. it feels like ancient technology because it just it, i'm like what like when i'm really used to talking to chat gpt every day and i this is this redundant technology. So once I think once we start pairing that up, and and there are there are companies doing that. There's a there's a company called Humane in America, and they they did a TEDx video about two months ago. You can find it online, oh. where they're they're producing their own AI assistants. So there's a lot of people predicting that um, within a year or so we're going to start seeing um, kind of I guess the next revolution of maybe what a smartphone is, maybe, mm. maybe it's something additional, maybe it's what a smartphone turns into, but where we have an AI system with us all the time that listens, I mean, a lot of people start getting scared at this point, and I understand why, but it listens to everything we're saying, the conversations we're having, um, it, it can then at the end of the day give us a summary of 
conversations we've had. It can it can start making connections for us. It can it, we can ask it. So a bit like if I ask my Google Assistant something, if I'm asking it something very basic and I'm asking it in a very specific way, it can tend to it tends to give me an, an all right answer. But with something like ChatGPT integrated into a virtual assistant like this, you could literally just. You, I mean, you. I was about to say that you could. You, you don't even have to be literate to use it, and I think that's an that's an interesting um, an interesting use case in itself yeah, for those yeah. who who maybe can't or um, who've got learning difficulties to yeah. use these tools. That's or visual example. impairment or, or something. Absolutely. Like that. I mean, and we're always already seeing that. Um, I think mm. there's, a, there's a video going around at the minute actually where someone. I think it, it, they've designed it for uh, people who are deaf and they put the glasses on and within the glasses uh, you've got, you, it listens to the conversation and puts the words up within the within wow. the glasses for you so you can track the conversation in real time. So we're going to start seeing some amazing technology that's going to help help a lot of people. And that's why, return to the start of the conversation, that's why I'm hopeful. I think it's going to yeah, yeah. positively change a lot of people's lives. But yeah, having these AI assistants that can that can help us, that can um, keep track of things for us, can be a second brain really for yeah. us, and and not just a second brain for storage, but a second brain for making intelligent connections and and helping us keep track of our day. Like we're all essentially we're all going to have an intelligent um, personal assistant wow. with us, really, if you want to have it. Um, That's what I was going to say. I hope you can like turn it on and off because some of the conversations I have with my friends, and no I know, to hear I know, that. and I'm. <laughs> It's interesting because I really want one, and I think it would it would change my life. But I'm like, also, you, <laughs> I don't know whether I should mention this or not. I was, I'm not, I'll not, I'll not say. <laughs> you could be talking about something that then, like, if a workplace yeah. heard about or something or family, well, you wouldn't. Want I was, them to I was know. talking to someone recently. Um, yeah. I just don't want the person to think I'm, I'm talking about them. But I mean, it's not a negative thing. But I was talking to someone recently who had some sunglasses on and there were these glasses that, I don't know if you've seen them, but they have cameras in them. And um, all you have to do is press the button and it records everything from a kind of like there. That makes me uneasy. That does make me uneasy. Yeah. And and I knew they had them because I, I, it was the first thing I noticed about them because you, you can tell because you can see the little camera, a bit like, you know, the camera hole on a phone. It looks a yeah. bit like that on the glasses. So I, and I brought it up. So I knew they had them on. So they weren't doing it um, covertly or anything. Mm. But we were having a conversation and um, and I was talking away uh, and they pressed the button to record and I felt a little bit uneasy. Mm. Um, and I think I said that to them. So it's not like I'm... Um, uh, um, and, and, and I made a decision while we were talking that I didn't mind it. I was like, I felt... It made me feel a bit uneasy, but it, I, made, I reasoned with myself in my head while I was talking and thought, you know what, let I do it. Uh, let them do it. Um, a bit, I suppose, a bit like if, a bit like we've been doing when we're chatting. Like if some, if one of us has said something, we'll take a note and go, "I'll oh, look into that." Or, mm. So I, I get that. I get that. It's it's similar, but just a different uh, way of doing it. But um, I, so I suppose when if we're going to have these AI assistants and we're and I, we're having a coffee somewhere, I'm going to want to know: Are you recording this? Is this, is is this going into an AI model for you to the summarize? The side is really important, isn't it? Th- it's like I was at the gym the other day and. You know, sometimes I've I've recorded a workout at the the gym and it's a bit cringe, but like, you know, sometimes I'll do it. But then 
I know that someone was recording themselves and I was like in their shot and like I was there first and then they came in, side recording and I'm in their shot and I kind right. of went over and said like, I'd rather not be in your video to be honest. Like, oh, oh, I don't want to be like a big, I don't want to be a big sweating mess like yeah. in the background. That then that Especially a lot of like, like I, I'm, I'm overweight a bit and and if I'm at the gym, I'm feeling very vulnerable. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I don't want to yeah. be in someone's video. So I get no. a completely... But yeah, good on you for going over and saying something. I don't think yeah. I would have had the, the balls to say that. And like, I understand, you know, I guess I'll walk out the door and I'll probably be very quickly on some CCTV, won't I? Like a home mm. security system. And, and I get that we're probably being But you know that's not going to go up on Facebook later, right? Instagram exactly. Later, don't you? And so well, this is where, not. yeah, this is where it does get me a bit uneasy. And we do have like, if we're, if you're on a video call with someone and they're recording it, it comes up, Pops up doesn't you it? Yeah. And, and but how do you do that in a in a face to face conversation with someone? Like <laughs> Yeah. Because like, people, yeah, so it could so quickly be yeah. doing it kind of on, I know. on the slide. And that I mean we even see that already on TikTok and Instagram and stuff where people have yeah. taken a video of someone without them knowing. And and I suppose you, to be fair, you could have been doing you could have done that with a dictaphone for the last thirty years. Yeah. But but I, I suppose there's a difference there because that that would have been seen as very creepy, a very creepy thing to do. Whereas if this, be, I think what we're probably concerned about more is the normalization of it, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause anyone can record you covertly, but it's, it's, it's the normalization of that, mm. um, which is, and I think, yeah, um, it's an interesting world. And I think that's why, again, going back to we're, we're in the wild west. We need to figure this out. What are we, yeah. what are we comfortable with? What are we not comfortable with? What is the law going to be comfortable with? Cause is that even lawful recording someone like that? Um, so we, we've got a lot of things to iron out here. Yeah. Um, we can, and I suppose probably unlike a lot of technology in the past, um, and this is, a, I suppose, a good thing and a bad thing, there's so many benefits to have from this technology now, even though it's not even a proper product, even though mm. it's still prototype um, situation. Uh, and that that's kind of what I do is, I go to schools, universities, colleges around the world, and I and I and I, I'm very open, and I say, look, this technology is not perfect. You're going to need to learn a few skills. I mean, it's not as much as as and not as scary as most people think. Um, it, and a lot of it comes down to knowing how to have a, a clear, communicated conversation, really, just like you would with a human being, because uh, these chatbots can't read your mind. So you need to be very clear, and you need to be very literate with what you're saying. Mm. Um, but a lot, we can start taking, or we can start benefiting from this technology in a massive way right now if we know what we're doing. And I think there's that's a good thing. But I suppose the flip side of that is um, a lot of people could get left behind. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I suppose I, I kind of say it as part of my job is trying to speak to as many teachers as possible. And and I put, I think probably about 95% of my my resources I put out for free. Um, well, this is what I was about to ask because we've, you know, you've given some great context and, and definitely got me thinking about the implications and given a very specific example of how a teacher could use it. But you, you've got resources out there. So how, how could people find those? Like there's threads on Twitter, isn't there? Is there stuff on YouTube? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I, need, I, I need to do more with YouTube, I think. Um, I'm doing a, I'm doing a recording with Google later today and I, they sent me oh, wow. like a ring light and it's here I'm using it. Nice. Um, <laughs> and they've said to they've said to just keep it. Um so I'm like, oh, I need to use this opportunity to like maybe start doing more YouTube stuff and and create more stuff. Um 
it's just the time really but uh, yeah i put a lot of stuff out on on twitter or what used to be twitter on x uh, that's kind of my main platform and linkedin okay um and i've got a what i tend to do is just put things out every day if i'm thinking of creating a bit of content i've got ideas i'm playing with or if i want to showcase something i'll put it out and then every sunday i, I put a newsletter out so whenever i put a tweet or something out or a or a linkedin post i'll i'll always i tend to say you can sign up to the newsletter um and it's not a sales i'm, I'm not doing it like as a sales thing it's more because i'm because that's where i can get in more depth away yeah, from kind yeah. of micro blogging on a social media platform so every sunday i I work through the week, so tend to, on a Monday, try and come up with a seed of an idea, maybe tweet about it a few times during the week, try to get a glimpse of whether it's going to work as an idea or whether it's going to be beneficial. Then by the end of the week, I might have produced a resource around it, so like maybe a video tutorial video, Mm. quick video, or maybe a PDF download crib sheet for it, because whatever it might be, it might be a tool or so on, it might just be a thought piece. And then I try... Um, I'd like to say by Thursday or Friday, I've, I've written it, but it's normally Saturday night. Um, I'm, I'm sat down in front of the TV, uh, pulling it all together, sticking it in the newsletter format, writing normally anywhere between 500 and a thousand word kind of article where I, mm. where I go through some. So I've just finished doing like a bit of a series on, on how educational organizations can strategize around this and how they can prepare for the future and the future changes that are going to come. Um, and then I normally kind of add in a resource, add in a recommendation, things like that. So, yeah, that's where I get a bit more, a bit more heavy mm-hmm. and a bit more insightful. Well, hopefully insightful um, with with my content. Uh, and then I've got I've got a course uh, which which is a three hour kind of came from back in January. I started doing a lot of webinars because I was posting things, and a lot of people would get in contact and say, "Can you do a webinar?" Mm-hmm. And I got to the point where I was literally selling out every webinar, um, and I. I think I'd put it on for like ten pounds because I was like, I need to make it a bit worth my while spending time on it. But I don't want it. I don't want teachers to be thinking, oh, I need to go and get permission, fill out forms to pay for this at school. So it needed to be something where a teacher would just put the hand in the pocket and go, yeah, I can do that. Um, so put that out. But I, yeah, it was just getting too much. I was literally doing two webinars a day, one in the middle of the night for an, an Asian or an, or an American audience, one during the day for a UK audience. And I, after, I think it was just, it was only two weeks I did it for. And after two weeks, I was like, I, I want, I'm, I need to just record it and put it yeah. out there. So I ended up recording it and, and it went from an hour to three hours because as you can probably tell, I, I just talk and talk <laughs> um, and, and think of things and jump from one thing to another. So, and then I ended up taking that three hours content, chunking it down into small bits, uh, putting some questions with it and things. And it's on my website as a course. Um, so you, you can pay for that, but. I mean, I, again, I probably shouldn't say this, but what everything everything I say in that three hours, I've said on Twitter or I've said, I've said in my newsletters. Um, so you can go and find it. I suppose you, what you're paying for there is the convenience of it all being together. Yeah, yeah, all, all it, being together, and like, yeah. I, I know what that's like. Yeah, when it's all in one chunk, you just take so much from it. Like, yeah, exactly. Hours, and you've I'm got sure. it in a video format. You don't have to yeah. be reading lots of different bits. Yeah, yeah. And then I do a lot, and then I, the majority of my work now is. Is I mean I'm lucky enough to be at home at the minute, uh, which is which is a, which is brilliant. But I spend a lot of time on the road now. Just I've just done a mm. tour of Florida, so I went around Florida and spoke at different conferences and schools, universities. Recorded a TV program out there as well, which is a bit which is weird. Yeah, right? nice um, and then before that, did like a two week tour of England and Wales. Uh, next week I'm doing a bit of a tour of Dubai for and 
uh, Abu Dhabi for ten days. So it's it's yeah, it's, I'm Not I'm bad. in a very privileged position, but uh, um, a lot of people want to know about this. They want to the shows the demand the, is there, doesn't it? Yeah. Exactly, yeah, and and and. I think whereas I'm putting 95 percent of my content out for content out for free because I want people to start using it. Sometimes people want you to come in and actually go through it and make it more yeah. bespoke to them and their situation and and go through it step by step. Which is, I suppose, it's like proper learning, isn't it? You can go on YouTube watch a video, but it's, and you can get a lot from that. And that's how I do most of my learning, to be honest. But someone in front of you and and actually taking you through at your pace and. Yeah. And helping you understand it in your context is something entirely different as a learning experience. So, some people want that. Um, so yeah, so yeah, um, I kind of see it as my mission, really. And um, uh, yeah, again, I suppose like a bit like ChatGPT. It's it's not it's not purely altruistic. I need to make a living. I've got two. I've got a two and a three year old and a fiance, and <laughs> we need to live. Um, so I need to. So when people ask me to come and speak, I need to. Um, I, I can't always do it for free, although I'd no, love no. to. But um, you're providing something very valuable, so yeah. yeah but I, but also, I want people to to be able to benefit from this because mm. um, I genuinely believe that there's two sides of this coin of AI in education. There's the first side of the coin, which is um, the optimization of what we're already doing, mm. and what I mean by that is the it's the stuff you'll hear. It's the it's the fact that it saves time, it makes you more efficient, can help you be creative. Not the like the examples I've given today is uh, uh, optimization of what you're already doing. Um, I think that's a short-term endeavor and, and a much-needed one. I mean, look at the education system in the UK at the moment; it's bursting at the seams. And and, I, and I'm quite lucky; I get to speak to teachers all over the world, and it's it's no different in other countries. They're, mm. they're having recruitment problems, retention problems, funding problems. Um, so, def the the system definitely needs optimized and, and made better in the short term. But um, and hopefully we've we've gained some insight into that by this conversation that actually if this technology is gonna massively change the world in the next few years, it's gonna change how people learn. It's gonna change where people go for their learning, and so the education system itself could be under threat. And um, I can get into this if you want, if you've got time. But the, I, the, I'll I'll boil it down to a few minutes. But the uh, it comes down to this for me. I think the education system or the education systems has never had any major competition. Like, I don't know about you, but I grew up very humble background work, uh, council estates in Gateshead in the northeast of England. Uh, what you did was you families had kids and then the kids went to the local primary school and went to the local secondary school. Mm. There wasn't really a, a, like a choice there. There wasn't a, oh, let's weigh up the, the benefits it was literally that's where you went um and even even the even the educational institutions that do have a bit of competition and i'm thinking of colleges universities and independent schools the competitions there's not much between them you go get a degree from one uh sunderland uni no offense sunderland but you then you go get a uni university degree from oxford there's not that much difference what you're paying for what the difference is is the is the uh the prestige yeah like yeah that's the word yeah so you, you that's what you, you're paying for um two independent schools that happen to be in competition they're not offering that much difference again it's probably down to prestige um one of them probably has a, a better uh upmarket uh branding or, or whatever or a reputation um 
And the same with colleges, really. There's not all that much difference. And I think that's about to change massively. I think non-traditional competition em- empowered by artificial intelligence is going to be huge. And we're already starting to see this. So we're seeing companies out of America. And I say companies because they're not traditional schools. They're actually private organizations and who are creating um, educational platforms. They're creating online schools, creating different ways of to learn. There's a great one called Synthesis out of California. Um, Josh Don runs that. I know Josh Don. Josh worked with Elon Musk to actually found this school. Uh, great guy. It, the whole the whole purpose of it is it's based on problem solving and collaboration. That's literally what they focus on, and they create their own um, games and programs. And they've just released an AI tutor to go alongside their curriculum, mm. um, and and they they pitch it at an affordable price. But I mean, it's not going to be affordable to everyone, mm. but it's not. It's nowhere near private school levels. Um, so it maybe is a supplement to traditional education. That's certainly what I'm thinking about for my kids. Um, there's going to be alternatives. There's going to be competition that we just, we can't even think of at the moment. Mm. Um, and in fact, I was talking to Gerd Leonard, who is a, he, he, I think he styles himself as a futurist, but he writes loads of books. He's a, he's a German guy. Um, writes some, he's, he's world famous. He writes some amazing books. And he was on uh, the Edge of Futurist podcast that I host. And he said, he said, he's sure that in the next few years, the next big global company, the next Google, as it were, is going to be an educational company because there's just such a gap in the market there. Um, It's a, and it sounds strange to talk about it as a market, as a business, but those who think in those terms are going to start creating educational platforms and and alternative Mm. education. And they're going to have money to do it. They're going to have industry insight. They're going to have um, the, the pressures of competition. So they're going to innovate fast. They're going to be a lot smaller than an education system. So they're going to be able to be agile and pivot and move and be relevant a lot sooner than an education system can. So we're about, we're about to see, I think some major competition, which, which means that to put it in very blunt terms, and I'm oversimplifying it, the education system has got to change or die mm-hmm. in a way. And I'm not saying it would necessarily die out, but it would, it would drastically be, hindered um uh, we need to start being strategic we need to start learning lessons from businesses that that at the heart are innovative and are agile and 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 stay up stay up to date so i spend a lot of my time although i although i do spend a lot of time training teachers and the tools and in ai i'm more and more increasingly spending time with leadership teams of schools where we go right how do we strategize for what's coming mm. so we can, and in fact, I've put this out for free on, on my on my Twitter again. I've got a seven step uh, process for how to do short term innovation, li- linear innovation in a way. So, what should you do over the next? What seven things should you do over the next year that'll help you get to grips with the technology that's out now? Mm. But again, like I said, that's short term, um, and but that the idea is those seven steps will create a foundation that you can then start looking at non-linear innovation and essentially that's that's what a company will do to go right not not how do we optimize what we're already doing but how do we change what we're doing Mm. Um, and that's difficult in education because we're bound by exam systems we're bound by government regulation so it's not easy to do that but the argument i make is we're gonna have to do that yeah um and 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 you, you know what some of the big 
players know this. And look at look at Eton. All right, Eton, one of the most traditional, prestigious schools in the country. Uh, last year, launched Eton X, which is their own online school. They they're not daft. They know that they know that um, change is coming, and they have to have alternative ways of educating. So, how do we do that? How do we? And I work with team leadership teams to go right. How do we create a strategy that allows for the molding of a new system? And it's not throwing away the old so that we can embrace some crazy future that we don't even know yet. It's a good leader will hold both in balance, we'll hold the current system, and we'll, but we'll also hold the kind of non-linear, innovative side of a, a business. And then when the time is right, then shift. Um, and it might just be shifting 50%, it might be shifting at all, who knows. Uh, so yeah, so I think um, we're in very interesting times, and I think it's all boosted by, I mean, to be fair, I think it was happening already, it was happening at a slower rate. These some of these places like Synthesis have been out a while, um, but AI is just going to supercharge the ability of these schools to be able to 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 educate remotely and educate in new ways that, quite frankly, the the old way of doing it. Um, and I mean classroom. I mean one teacher stood at the front. I mean rows of seats. Mm. I mean timetables where you do five. At, I think we're going to get to a point where we're going to think. In a few years' time, we're going to think we made small children sit for five consecutive hours during the day and yeah. expected them to be alert and pay attention. Yeah. Like as an adult, I, could, I don't even think I could do half an hour. So, like, how do we? Like, I think we're going to get to a point where we think how crazy was what was what we were doing, and hopefully, we've got something much better yeah. by then. <clears throat> excuse me. I oh, excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, oh, have I? Uh, it's my breakfast, was, uh, clearly. <laughs> I've took your breath away. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I I just couldn't agree more. I, th- I think we're going to look back like, what were we doing? And I think there's a very real risk that children are getting left behind at the moment. They talk about those stats, don't they, that in 20 years' time, half of the jobs, we can't even imagine what the jobs will be in 20 years' mm. time. And so what are we teaching children? We need to be teaching them... Yes, we need to be teaching them just the skills of learning, don't we? And some of those kind of more um, broader skills that could apply to any kind of career. But it feels like, yeah, we're not teaching them things like coding and things like around AI and other things that are just going to be absolutely essential. And yeah, and you know what really annoys me when people say, well, that's not education's job. It's education's job to educate. It's then the industry's... job to to train people for industry i i don't agree i think Mm. for me and i know this is very subjective and everyone's got their own answer to this but for me i think education should be about helping to prepare somebody for success in life and and let's be honest most people spend most of their days at work this or working on something and so Although, yes, success is going to come from relationships, it's going to come from family, it's going to come from from other factors as well, but a large part of success comes from what you do for work. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, it's the job of education to be preparing people for work. Absolutely, it should be about giving them the skills they need for work and to shirk that responsibility because you, you've got this idealistic view of education as an end in itself. And I get that. I used to be a philosophy teacher. I understand that education can be an end in itself. But we're not philosophers in ancient Greece who who revel and get pleasure out of knowledge. And 
in fact, few of us might be, but most of us aren't. We want knowledge for another end. We want knowledge as a means to another end. And that might be not uh, the to have a good career, to have the skills to get on in life or to, to be happy. So we absolutely should be providing those skills, I think. And yeah, I think I think we need we need to we need to do that. And and again, you mentioned that preparing students for jobs that we we that don't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in in recent times, it's that's it's almost become a bit of a cliche. But and to defend it, because I don't think I don't think it, I don't think it's irrelevant. I think it's still very much relevant. Uh, there are sixty percent of jobs that exist now did not exist in nineteen forty. They, so we we know it happens. We know, mm-hmm. and you might be you might be thinking, well, nineteen forty is a long time ago, um, but this is going to happen a lot faster, a lot mm-hmm. faster, and we've we've already got big organisations like the World Economic Forum telling us that this is going to happen. And it's going to happen in a huge way over the next decade, and the fact that the majority of us might read that, might not even read it, and just crack on with doing what we've always done is a big disservice to our students. I think. Yeah. Oh man, it's a it's a cliche to say on a podcast, but I could just talk to you for hours, Dan. Like, there's so <laughs> many other things that I'm I'm curious about, and like, you know, the imp- different other implications for the older generation and people in different jobs and things mm-hmm. like that. But you know, coming up to just over an hour now, so I guess we'll we'll start wrapping up. But yeah, you might have to come back and do a part two. I'm afraid, mate. <laughs> no, I've enjoyed it. I'll happily come back. That would be great. Um, so three questions that I finish with with every guest. And then before I let you go, um, I want you to to tell people where they can connect with you as well. But those three questions to begin with. Um, a lesson that you wish you'd have been taught when you were younger. What do you wish you'd have been taught when you were younger? I, I could pick so many, but just because of where I'm at at the moment, um, it's, <laughs> it's not the most dynamic one, but I think get up early. Get up, like, get up before everybody else does. Like, if you get up, like I've, I'm for the past uh, six months or so, I've been getting up at five a.m. and I'm able to to get so much done. And I'm not talking about work; I'm talking about like things that fulfill me. Like, I, I yeah. spend a bit of time. Um, again, sounds cheesy, but I do a bit of time meditating. I do a bit of time reading. I make notes. Um, I'm able to slowly get a coffee um, and and just and just enjoy it. I'm able to to think about my day. Um, I, and then literally then at the start of the day when everybody else is starting their day, I feel like I've achieved so much by even then. Um, you got to go, you got to go to sleep a bit early. Um, but it's, it's honestly, um, it's one of the best things I ever started doing. Yeah. So that, that's what I'll say at the minute. I've got so many, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to that one. And what's one habit that perhaps I don't know you, you've introduced. It could be meditation. I don't know, but an, an habit that you've introduced to your life that I could introduce to my life that you think would would help me feel great or benefit my life in some way. I think make again. It doesn't sound the most dynamic, but make notes. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of times, and I'm still learning this lesson, and I'm. Um, I'm reading a great book at the moment called How to Build a Second Brain by Tiago, Tiago Forte. And in his his whole kind of philosophy is it gives you a system of how to categorize your notes so that you can then go back and make connections between it. Now, I think like we've been talking in this podcast, I think AI is going to massively help that in the, in the future. Um, in fact, I think if you've got an, an iPhone, I think 
um, Apple have brought out a, a, or bringing out an AI tool for their Notes app, which does does a bit of this, where it makes connections between what what you've been doing in the day with your notes and things. Wow. But I think uh, the amount of times I'll sit there and go, or I'll read something on Twitter, or I'll think of something and go, "That's a good idea," or "That's I need to return to that thing." Um, and then I just forget all about it. Um, I think creativity comes from connection. Um, you can't create something out of nothing. That's not what creativity is. Creativity is connecting things that have never been connected before. And and that's not too difficult because you've got your own unique perspectives and your own unique experiences. So you can connect things that people other people can't. But you have to you have to you have to hold things that you've thought of and things you've read and things you've heard in a state where they're readily available available to be connected as well. And if you've got a terrible memory like me, that just doesn't happen often. So seeking the assistance of a notebook or a or an app that that helps you with that, I think is is vitally important. And and one of the key ingredients, if not the major one, to 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 finding your way in life, I guess, to because the more you create, the more you become you find what drives your passion, the more you create, the more you find your value within society as well. So, mm. so I took that very deep there, but uh, for, for from taking notes to finding happiness. But uh, yeah, I think it, it certainly helps me anyway. Nice one. And if you could give everyone in the world just one book, which book would you give them? Uh, the AI Classroom is an... Um, that's my book, <laughs> by the way. Uh, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a great book... Um, and I've ju- the the name of the author has just gone out of my head. It's called the Startup of You. Mm. Um, and I'll just quick. So it's by uh, Reed Hoffman. That's it. By Reed Hoffman, the guy who created LinkedIn, and has just created an an, an amazing AI bot called um, Pi, which is if you you can use it for free if you just type in Pi AI, and they've designed it so that it it it's very empathetic. And it, um, it, 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 and it gets, tries to understand you as you're talking to it. And it's, it's amazing. Anyway, Reed Hoffman wrote a book called The Startup of You, where he said, and you're not, you're not going to hear this at, at school, you're not going to hear this in education, but I think it's one of the key life lessons that everybody needs to know is treat your life like a startup company is essentially the message. All right. So, and your life is the, it's something I've learned quite a bit starting my own business and almost starting my own brand recently is you have to brand yourself. You have to, you, to a certain extent, if you want the freedom to have your own business, if you want the freedom to to be able to to make money and be happy and have the things you want, but also control your life, um, you have to invest in yourself and create a, almost a brand out of yourself that mm. offers value, just like you would with a business or with a product. So actually applying those principles to yourself, I think, um, is phenomenal, and I know so many people who've read that book or read books that are similar to it. Another one is the comp- a company of one, which has really helped me. It's like how do you create a company around yourself? Um, I, I think there are people out there living the lives, living lives that they've they've always wanted because they're, they're taking on these principles and mm. and and finding value in the world as themselves, as the product, as the service. And I'm not talking about like influencers. I mean influencing social media influence and can be part of that. But um, a lot of people out there, you would never have heard of them and are, and are creating a, a product or a brand around themselves that that is offering a lot of value. So um, 
yeah, I wish somebody had taught me that when I was at school as well. Um, but nobody does. Nobody teaches you how to add value. Really, no, definitely. It's, it's a shame. Yeah, the, the the lessons from entrepreneurship are, are, are vast, and I think that's a great recommendation. And it makes me think of you know, we, another thing, like when you create a company, and I, I guess you must see what you want the company to be in 10 years, don't you? Like, what impact do I want this to have? Um, how is it going to affect people? All that stuff. But we don't do that with ourselves, do we? We don't think, yeah. where, where could I be in 10 years' time? What, how am I going to affect the world? And yeah, I really like that. Like, treating it's, yourself like a company. And I, you know, when I, you know, before when I was talking about the strategy stuff with non-linear and linear innovation, yeah, I use a, a, a strategic approach called the three-box solution to innovation. Um, and that's a great book, actually, uh, by um, Vijay Govindarajan. And mm. he he essentially says, right, box one is your current system. It's what's working. How do you optimize? And innovation within that box is optimization. So it's kind of what I was saying before. Box three is your non-linear innovation. It's it's looking for, well, how do I change what I'm doing to, to, to be agile and stay up to date? Box two is essentially where you where you put the, the values and the systems that aren't going to work in the future. It's like almost mm-hmm. like the bin, it's where you, where you put things. Now, I, to a certain extent, I apply that to my life as well, because I think, right, right now I've got, I've got my current system. I've got my, the way I work, the way my, my routines, my practices, I've got my family, friends, and so on. I want to optimize that. I want to spend more time with my family. I want to, I want to optimize how I work. I want it to, I want it to be slick. I want it to be, I want to perform so we can earn a living and, and survive. I want to optimize that, but I also want to be thinking, well, what's coming down the line? What's what how might I need to change this so that we so that this unit and what I enjoy out of life survives? Mm-hmm. So it's a business strategy, but I think it's also yeah. building on what you were just saying, Sam. It's a, it's a, it can be a personal strategy as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. It's been it's been great. Uh, I've really enjoyed this this chat. Um, it's certainly got me thinking about a whole range of different things. Um, so I really appreciate your time. Um, I know you joked about uh, selling your own book, but it's, it's got to be done. Come on, you got to. <laughs> where, where can people get their hands on the AI? Yes, yeah, so, I mean literally every, everything about me. You can find it theaieducator.io, um, and that'll give you access. You can sign up for the newsletter. Um, you can see access the book. So got a, mm. a best-selling book that came out at the end of March called The AI Classroom, The Ultimate Guide to Artificial Intelligence and Education. It's about 400 pages long. It's huge. Um, it covers a lot of what, we, what we've discussed today in terms of strategy and leadership. But to be honest, that's a small part of the book. M- the main part of the book is the practical guides and how to prompt ChatGPT. And like, there's a chapter that talks about 40, way, 40 different templates that you can use for ChatGPT to produce uh, lesson plans, resources, mm. all the way to risk assessments for a school trip. Like there's so much in there. Uh, there's background to this technology. Where did it come from? Um, I mentioned Ray Kurtzfeld talking about the singularity earlier. There's, there's a bit in there about that. There's yeah. So it's, it tries to when we when we called it the ultimate guide, it wasn't uh, an egotistical. This is all you'll ever need. It was more of right now we've tried to cover the gamut so that as one educator can sit down and try to get a view into the history of it. Where's it going? What do I need to do? What does leadership need to do? How do I start using this today? And I can just get a broad picture of it all instead of having to go to lots of different sources. So yeah, um, you can get that on, on Amazon. 
Yeah, brilliant. And, and brilliant social media as well. I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn and things where I put out things. So, but you, yeah, just search me, you'll find me. Absolutely. Well, I'll put all of those links in the show notes. So listeners, if you are wanting to get the book and, and access Dan's resources, they will be in the show notes. So check them out there. Dan, thank you so much. Um, I'm looking forward to staying in touch on X or Twitter or LinkedIn and everything, all those things. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Dan. Really enjoyed us and great chat with you. So thank you for tuning in. I really, really hope you found my conversation with Dan insightful. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends, family and colleagues who you think would find it helpful too. You can also support this podcast by following and rating the show on whichever app you're listening on. Thank you again, and I look forward to bringing you another episode soon.